wow, I like this. <laughs> yeah, it's not so easy to hit me with things now, is it? Right. Well, um, I love hearing stories, and I love telling stories. And I heard a story about uh, Billy Graham, the world-famous evangelist. If you're over 30, you'll know him. And uh, it was, one day he was preaching in a small American town. And he needed to go to the post office to post a letter back home. So he's walking down the street and he sees this young lad coming towards him and says, excuse me, son. He says, can you tell me the way to the post office, please? So he says, certainly, sir. Go down the street, turn left. They're on your right-hand side. He says, okay, thank you very much. He says, by the way, my name is uh, Billy Graham and I'll be preaching at the Baptist church this evening and I'm going to, uh, if you come, you'll hear me tell people how to get to heaven. And he says... Uh, now, I, th- I, th- I think I'll give it a miss. He says, why? He says, well, you don't even know, wait at post office. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it is hard to navigate life's many varied paths at times. So I hope to bring a word of encouragement this morning. And I would really like to share with you my story of faith uh, and share from a favorite uh, Bible passage of mine and see how the word of God entwines and intermeshes um, and encourages me in my life story. Um, Christian uh, shared a, a great message a fortnight ago about a story about a briefcase and uh, how God is interested in every aspect of our lives. And believe it or not, I too have a, a short story about a briefcase. But before I share about my briefcase, I'd really like to take a moment just to share something that happened uh, to me a few years ago, about five or six years ago. And it's quite personal to me, but I hope that by sharing it, you'll understand something of the journey, and I hope that it will help to encourage you this morning. And I didn't fully understand the implications at the time, but as things started happening in my life, it's becoming clearer and clearer. And as I was preparing this message, God really brought back this event into my mind. So let me just pray. Father God, this morning, would you send your Holy Spirit to minister to us? Settle our hearts and minds so that we can hear from you. May the word of God come alive in our lives and give us a new hope, new beginnings, fresh start. Encourage us this morning so we can see the stories that live in and through your word. What a great adventure lies before us. Amen. So Liz and I have been Christians for about 26 years or so. And about six to seven years ago, Liz and I were going through a really challenging time at the church that we were at. I was on the leadership team. I was preaching regularly, leading men's ministry, small group leader, prayer group, missionary group, etc., etc., etc. How God ever managed without me, I'll never know. <laughs> So there we were, but we were going through this real wilderness experience. There was a lot of frustration and hurt, and we'd been going through this for about the previous three years. And so we started to really press into the Word of God, to really seek His presence, to find out what God wants us to do. So we laid a fleece out, and for six months we prayed and prayed. We sought advice from uh, people we loved and respected, Eric Madison, Brian Niblock, people of, of some um, who I really trusted. And so we decided, sadly, to, 
to leave the church. Our church family, who we had shared life with for the past 15 years. Now, I'm not going to go into the personal circumstances, because that doesn't matter anymore. But it was tough. And once out of the flock, no one really seemed to want to talk to us, apart from some special dear friends. And I found it really hard going from being involved in everything to suddenly nothing. Just me and Liz and God. And that song, when the music fades, all is stripped away and I simply come. Boy, did that touch my heart because that's where I was. And one day whilst in prayer, I had quite a vivid picture now, please, you know, I don't come across all super spiritual. It gets all pictures from God and uh, it's a bit weird. Well, I'm a bit weird, but um, I'd sometimes just, God just talks to me and, and speaks to me through, through my mind, through pictures I have. And one day I was in prayer and I got this picture. It had a deep effect on me. And the picture was this. I saw a brown terracotta vase. It'd be about two foot long and it'd be about eight, ten inches in diameter. Just a plain brown terracotta vase. Now, in the Bible, I, I'm aware that in Jeremiah and in Isaiah, it talks about the potter and the potter's clay, and that we're the clay and God is the potter. So I guess I knew in this picture, I just knew that this vase represented me and my life at that time. And it was quite just an ordinary vase, no decoration on it. It was quite plain, useful, but not that attractive. Sums up my life. But inside, as I looked, there was beautiful colours. I mean, it was beautiful inside. Really deep blues and deep reds and verdant greens and golds. I mean, it was beautiful. And I kept thinking, this vase is inside out. Why? And all of a sudden, I saw that the vase fall to the floor and shatter into thousands of pieces. And I thought, well, that's broke that. There's no way you're going to mend that. There's no way, no even how big a tube of superglue, you're never going to fix that. And I just felt shattered myself because this represented my life, all my hopes and dreams and ambitions Scattered, shattered, all my ministry, shattered. All the prophetic words spoken over me, all the backslapping saying, oh, what a great guy you are, what a great leader you are, oh, the church will take off if you get in charge, and oh, all this, all of a sudden, shattered, gone. And I thought, was all that false, God? And then, in this picture... I saw something. I saw the nail-scarred hands of him who loves me bend down and pick up one or two of these fragments. And then he went and placed them into this beautiful, colourful, mosaic pathway that just stretched far, far into the distance. I just got a sense of God's purpose and destiny.
on me that all this, all this garbage that had happened over the last couple of years, I thought was, didn't mean anything. I just knew that God was going to take those life experiences and place them into a pathway that revealed his glory. There is a beauty in the pain that only Jesus can reveal. This picture confirmed to me that God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at what's on the inside. All the hurts and problems, the confusion, all the heartache, everything that I had enjoyed in the past. Now Jesus purposefully but gently placing these broken pieces into this beautiful pathway. For such a time as this. One of those uh, phrases that uh, Phil mentioned when I first came to Arena Church, for such a time as this. And since I've been at Arena Church, this picture I had five, seven years ago uh, means more to me now than it did then. I truly believe God is revealing more and more of the pathway he wants me to walk. And there may be other people here this morning who may feel shattered, whose dreams and hopes, ambitions, plans seem to have fallen by the wayside because of life's circumstances. But let me encourage you to keep focused on Jesus because he makes a way where there seems to be no way. He's concerned about every aspect of our lives. What Satan, the enemy, wanted to use to destroy, God takes and reveals a better way. Now, remembering this picture I've just shared with you, I just want to try and put this into context with God's word and how God's word encouraged me at that time that I was going through this, this crisis. I'd like to share about one of Paul's journeys. Josh, last week, shared a great picture about Paul and Silas from Acts 16 where they were beaten, whipped, imprisoned, but in their darkest hour, they chose to praise and worship and they saw salvation come. A great message, Josh. Well, I want to move on slightly from that period. Here, I want to talk about Paul again. He's released from prison. He continues preaching the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and causes such a stir that again he is beaten by a mob and he again is arrested and again imprisoned. But as a Roman citizen, he appeals to stand in front of Caesar. And this is where we pick up Paul's story. It's from Acts chapter 27 verses 1 to Acts chapter 28, verse 10. Now, that is a lot, lot of, to read, obviously. We're not going to read all that this morning. But if you want to take it home and read it when you get home, it's a fantastic story. So, well, I'm going to pick on one or two verses. Paul is a prisoner in the custody of a Roman centurion on board a ship, headed for, to, to Rome to see Caesar. However... Because it is now late September, early October, Paul was concerned about the voyage. And so he voiced these concerns. In Acts chapter uh, 27, verse 10, he says this. Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only of the cargo and ship, but our lives. A heartfelt fear. Nevertheless, the, the centurion, perhaps more persuaded by... Um, the helmsman and owner of the ship, because they were persuaded by profit, perhaps, than rather than safety, they decided to set sail. So Paul had feared a storm, as Paul had feared, a storm took hold of the ship. Now, this was a storm. Man, it was bad. 
For days they tried everything they could. They used cables to undergird the ship. They threw cargo overboard to light the ship. They even threw the ship's tackle overboard. Man, it was bad. The storm was so bad that neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. For over 14 days they went through this storm. So not only were they wet and hungry, tired, seasick, fearful, now they were lost. Unable to navigate through the sun or unable to navigate through the stars. So they were unable to find out where they were. It was so bad. In verse 20 it says this. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. They had done everything humanly possible to save themselves. And finally come to the end of their hope. The crew turning to their own gods and pleading with the God of the sea and the God of the, the sun and the God of the moon and the God of the wind. Little carved images that they used to have. Oh, please help us. It was that bad. And I can imagine Paul and his companions praying, praying fervent prayers. For hours on end, what must have seemed like endless days. Tossed and blown about by this storm. And it's hard for us to understand what they must have gone through. I, I can't imagine what it must have been like. Certainly I can't equate that to a physical storm that I've experienced in my life. I, I once got really bad seasick from, COVID to, uh, from, from Cali to Dover. And I thought I was going to die. But it's nothing compared to this. That was just a couple of hours. This was over 14 days. Yeah, I'm sure most of us can share experiences where we have been through life's emotional storms. Where we've tried everything humanly possible to get by, to break through. And yet all hope seems gone. On the 24th of February, 1989, St. Valentine's Day, Liz and I went through a storm. I had booked a table for a Valentine's meal. I'd bought the flowers. I'd bought the box of chocolates, just like every good husband does. Don't we, guys? We always remember Valentine's Day. But instead of enjoying a lovely meal together, we found ourselves at King's Mill Hospital. And Liz had sadly suffered a miscarriage. But we were Christians. We'd been Christians for years now. We had prayed to God for this child. This, God, this, this baby was, was planned. We would prayed and we committed the baby in the womb to God. So how could this happen to us? Why? And I remember talking to Canon Warburton, who was the vicar at St. Peter's, St. Paul's at that time. And I said, why? How has this happened? He said, Paul, we live in a broken world. This is life. And just because we're Christians, we are not immune. But I felt shattered and hurt. And I remember going home and walking to the bottom of my God just to be away and just crying and saying, God, why? And I heard nothing. There was silence. But I sensed, even through this pain, that God was there by my side, ready to pick up the broken fragments. And over the years... Liz and I have been able to talk with people and not just sympathize with them, but empathize with them because we've been in that position 
There is a beauty in the pain that only Jesus can reveal. So very often we face emotional stormy seas. On 17th of April 1991, this gave birth to our beautiful daughter Sarah. Who I guess because of what happened 14 months previous means so much to us. We really love her so much. And so very often we face these emotional stormy seas where prayers seem to just bounce off the, the, the prison walls of our circumstances. And here we see Paul and the crew praying for days without any apparent response. No one seeming to be listening or able to help. Have you had stormy seas like that in your life? I know I have. But I also know prayer works. And I know that sometimes prayer works fast. This is my briefcase story. I was a detective on the major crime unit at Knott's Police. And at the time, I was working on a murder inquiry, a very highly publicised murder inquiry. It was in all the national newspapers, all the national news programmes, so it was quite high profile. And uh, it was about three days before Christmas, and I hadn't got all my Christmas shopping yet. And we'd been working long hours, and it was 10 to 8. I always remember it was 10 to 8 at night, and we was driving through Arnold at Nottingham, and I saw the Comet sign, supermarket. And I said to my mate who I was with, can we just pop in there? I just want to price up a digital radio. I'm not going to buy it. I just want to compare the price, because I've seen one that I'm going to get, but I just want to see if this is a better price. So he said, yeah, because we hadn't had any break, we hadn't had any rest or, you know, uh, refreshment. So I thought, well, we'll just do this for 10 minutes. So he pulls in. About 20 feet away from the, uh, from the doors. We walk there and there's a security guard on the doors. He says, sorry guys, he says, we're closing in 10 minutes. I said, no, I just want to just price up this uh, digital radio. So he says, okay. So he walks in, sees it, walks back out. The security guard says, cheers guys. So he walks out and my mate says, why did you leave the boot up? What? The boot of the car, why did you leave the boot up? And the door's open. I said, well, I didn't obviously leave the boot of the car. We've been broken into. So we went to the car, and the car had been broken into. And our briefcases from the back had been stolen. The briefcases that contained all the paperwork relating to this murder. This sensitive paperwork. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what are we going to do now? Got my handcuffs in it, got my baton in it, and all this sensitive paperwork. If, oh, if this gets, oh, what are we going to do? And my mate... He's sweating on promotion. He was a keen, eager guy. He's going, oh, no, that's it. My promotion's gone. We're going to get thrown off the major crime unit. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So I said, look, let's just get in the car. Let's go to uh, the local police station. So I drove to Arnold Police Station. I walked straight in and picked the phone up. And he says, uh, who are you phoning? I says, uh, the wife. What? I said, I'm phoning the wife up. I'm going to get people to pray that we get the briefcases back. Said, oh, come on. Be real. Be serious. I said, no, that's what I'm going to do. I said, and if we, get the, if we get the briefcases back, will you believe in God? He said, if we get the briefcases back, I'll believe in anything. <laughs> so I said to Liz, Liz, ring around one or two of our friends, tell them to pray. We need to get these briefcases back. Man, it, it's serious. It really is serious. We need to get them back. So I put the phone down, and then uh, Lee, who is my colleague, says, are you going to phone the boss? Are you going to phone the d- detective inspector and tell him what's happened? So picks him up. Hi, boss, I'm sorry to disturb you, your tea with, the, uh, with your family. I've got some good news. <laughs> the good news is that the, uh, we've got the car back. Uh, the bad, bad news is uh, uh, briefcases have been stolen. What? Right. 
secure the car, make sure it's fingerprinted, and I'll see you in my office 8 o'clock next morning. So as I put the phone down, my mate is, oh, he's having kittens. He's thinking, oh, no, what, am I, what we're going to do? What we're gonna... He just didn't know what to do. And at that moment, a, a policewoman walks in, and she's got a force radio on her, on her vest, and she sits down and starts doing typing. So I'm looking at Lee, he's looking at me, and all of a sudden the radio goes off. And it said, uh, PC, can you go to this address? Somebody has found a briefcase that contains police paperwork. Can you go and collect it? So I said, uh, you don't need to do that. Um, we'll do that for you if you want, you know. Oh, that's very kind of you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's on our way. Don't, don't worry about that. We'll sort that out. So, woof, gets in the car, woof, to this address. And there is my briefcase. The locks have been forced off. I opens it up, and there's all the paperwork. There's my handcuff, there's my baton. Even my sandwiches were there. <laughs> Praise God. And Lee said, well, what about my briefcase? So I says, well, we'll pray. There's still time yet. We'll pray. I says, uh, uh, would you really believe in God if, if, if your briefcase uh, was found? So I said, where did you find the briefcase? So the people, where did you find it? So they told us a certain road. So we get in the car, drive down the road. And sure enough, in the hedgerow, there was Lee's briefcase. All the paperwork intact. The only thing that was missing was a baton. Uh, his baton. They'd either thrown that away or, or kept it. So I said, so what do you reckon now then, Lee? coincidence isn't it <laughs> but I know that prayer works you'll never ever convince me that prayer doesn't work because he cares about every aspect of our lives but sometimes we learn through waiting on God and here was Paul on this boat praying because everybody had given up hope and then God makes an appearance Verses 21 to 26 says this. Paul stood in the midst of them, the crew, and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred the disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar and indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So the story goes on to say that the, the ship ran aground, but all 276 persons on board the ship were saved, and they landed on the island of Malta. Now, most people, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, you will have heard people preaching, and you will have heard that story about Paul being shipwrecked. But I think the next few verses are so, so interesting. What happens next is often skipped over. Sometimes we miss something of God. So Acts chapter 28, verse 2 says, The natives showed unusual kindness, and because of the rain and cold, they kindled a fire and made everyone welcome. But when Paul, who had just been shipwrecked, gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. This poisonous snake fastened to his hand. Wow. 
Just when Paul must have thought things were on the upturn. Just when he thought he had beaten the raging storm. Just beginning to get over the battering ram of the waves. Just when he thought things were about to get that little bit better. Just when the fear had subsided. Just when hope had been restored. Bang! The viper strikes. Things go from bad to worse. And the snake doesn't just strike and let go, but it hangs on, pumping poison into his hand. What must have Paul thought? His previous experience of being beaten, imprisoned, for speaking his faith, and then seeing God rescue him, must have had an impact on his life. But now, just after all he's gone through, gone through this 14 days or so, weakened by the storm, seasickness, lack of food and sleep. At a low physical state, the viper strikes. Just doesn't seem fair. Life can be like that at times. And Acts 28 verse 4 says this, the local natives saw this creature hanging from Paul's hand and said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not bestow to live. They interpreted Paul's snake bike as the work of the goddess justice against Paul, who must in their mind be at least be a murderer. The islanders were following worldly wisdom. Bad things happen to bad people. So what do we do when the viper strikes? Well, Paul's response was a very matter-of-fact response, and he just shook the snake off. He just shook it off and suffered no ill effects. The natives must have watched Paul intently, waiting for the venom to take hold, waiting to see Paul's hand begin to swell, to see him start sweating and shaking, moaning in pain, the venom cursing, coursing further through into his bloodstream, attacking his vital organs, waiting to see him fall down dead. But Paul didn't listen to their words. He was not upset by their whispering. He took no heed of the sideways glances. And he certainly didn't didn't take on board their fears because he held on to the promises of God. Paul shook off that which would try to stop him from doing what God had told him to do. And he clung on to the promises of God. Paul shook off that which would try to stop him from doing what God wanted him to do and clung on to the very promises of God. Now, being Jewish, Paul would have known the story of how the Israelites went through the desert for 40 years. Now, God told Moses to make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and lift it high so that whenever any of the Israelites were were bitten by a snake, all they had to do was look at the bronze serpent, and they would be healed. He he would have heard about Jesus giving authority to his disciples in Mark and Luke to trample on snakes and scorpions and not be harmed. And I believe Paul would have shook off that viper, raised his eyes from the circumstances surrounding him, and looked to the cross of Jesus Christ holding on to the word and promises of God, remembering the conversation he had just had a few moments ago with the angel of the Lord, who had promised in the middle of this storm that he would be safe, knowing 
He was on a mission from God. Paul did not sit there feeling sorry for himself. He didn't start moaning and complaining. Oh God, why did you let this happen to me? I was doing your work. I was being a servant to these heathens by collecting fire, firewood, putting it on the fire, and now this happens. Oh God, why, why? No. Paul just simply shook off the viper, and he went out and ministered. And God miraculously healed people. And Acts 28.8 says this, And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever, fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid on his hands on him and healed him. And I find this incredibly encouraging. Paul laid on hands that must have still borne the fang marks. And laid on those hands, rather than poisoned and swollen, a miracle happened. God used him so much. So much so that in verse 9 it said, the rest of those on the island who had diseases came and were healed. God's power at work. So what do we do when the viper strikes? When the spiritual viper strikes? When the viper of redundancy strikes? We're going through a a royal uh, credit crunch. You just think you're getting over it. And all of a sudden, bang. Here comes a P45. Unemployment. The viper of divorce or breakdown in relationship. Being through stormy times, but you seem to be getting through it. And all of a sudden, bang. The viper strikes. Pain spreads. Heartbreak and anguish. Just as you were serving others, fetching sticks to the fire. Didn't even see it coming. A viper disguised as something else, something so innocent, but with deadly consequences. Just getting your life together, perhaps after being addicted, being in trouble with the police, perhaps, in the past, but now getting your life back together, getting your life sorted out. When all of a sudden, a DNA hit, or fingerprint hit, hit, comes back with your name on it. What do you do? When the viper strikes, do you give in? Do you turn your back on the on the way that you used to live, or do you turn back to the way you used to live? The viper of rejection, depression, bitterness, anger, lust, apathy, whatever it is that is trying to prevent you from doing what God has planned for you, what do you do when the viper strikes? Shake it off. Don't just sit there and stare at the problem, feeling sorry for yourself. Letting fear and doubt infect you over and over and over again. But do something positive. Shake it off. Raise your eyes from the circumstances surrounding you. Look up to the answer to your problems. Jesus Christ. You may be going through some bad times. But Jesus went through even worse. He was falsely arrested. Falsely accused. He was teased and beaten. Stripped naked and humiliated. It was bad. It was not fair. The guards made a crown of thorns and pushed it onto his head so hard that the barb stuck into his, into his flesh and blood trickled down his face. They mocked and spat at him. They pulled the very beard from his face. It was bad. It wasn't fair. They whipped and flogged him so that his bones and intestines could be seen through the rips in his flesh. It was so bad. 
They stretched him so that his shoulders were dislocated. And they nailed him to a cross. It was bad. It was so, so bad that through what Jesus went through, we may know that when we face times of trouble and strife, it can never be as bad. Jesus took the bad, the unfairness of it all, and came out the other side victorious, so that we too may know victory in our lives through trusting in him who went through so much for us. So when you are going through bad times, all hope gone, and the viper strikes, shake it off. Don't listen to worldly advice, which can often bring confusion, but focus on Jesus Christ and his word, which brings clarity. Remember his promises. I will never leave you or forsake you. His promises offer hope and life. If Andy just would like to come up and just play some music, Andy. I'm just going to round up now. I've been aware so very often in my Christian life of Christians who walk round for years with something attached to their hand, some hurt that happened some years ago. And we just need to learn to shake it off, to do something positive. We can't keep walking around with something that's still attached to us. Don't let the viper venom of doubt and fear cause you to stop doing what you know you've been called to do. But choose to go, even with the marks, the fang marks of the viper, still fresh on your hands, and minister in his name, in his power, under his authority, expecting the miraculous. Put your trust in Jesus so that he can take the shattered fragments of your life and pick them up and use them to reveal his glory. Revelations 12, 11 says this. And they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. May our stories that live encourage our friends and family. Amen. I'd just like us to pray. Just bow your heads in prayer.